Now, as we encounter Paul in his earliest days after his baptism, I also want to continue to fill out the background picture of Paul so that we can appreciate this man who wrote 28% of the New Testament. Uh, and as, as we get to know him, not only did we see his conversion last week and the way of life that he had before, but some of the very early years of his Christianity are rather formative, for sure, in all it is that he's able to, to do and to be, all for the sake of Christ. So pray with me, and then together we will uh, jump in and, and read. Now when I say together we'll read, you'll read silently, and I'll read aloud. Case gets awkward there. So, uh, amen. I thought I'd get that done with before the prayer. And I thought I'd keep talking about it, since a lot of you are holding hands, and it's kind of nice just to see you all holding hands while I continue to talk and... You know, it reminds me of another thing. Uh, Mike is a trooper. Look at him. He's so... All right. Dear God, uh, here we are together on a beautiful Sunday morning uh, to be able to, to, to celebrate even all of our singles coming together, enjoying life in Christ, uh, seeing the counter-cultural Christianity that they are living on out. Thank you for that, God. Bless their service, even as it commences right now. And, and also, God, as we gather together now before your scriptures, I pray, God, that we can be enthralled by your word to be able to see the way that you used your servant Saul to become Paul, and then ultimately that we can really see the way that he was used to capture your word through your spirit so that we could be guided in our day uh, through your very will. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Paul, a bold basket case. Now, we're, we're going to look at this story, and it, and it is Paul early on. And by the way, uh, you kind of spoiler alert, uh, at, the, at the end of this, he is lowered in a basket from the city walls of Damascus to basically get out of town. And it's interesting because it's kind of the only time ever that Paul escapes rather than facing persecution head on, uh, sometimes with blunt force trauma that leaves him left for dead. But his, his Christianity begins with him running away. Any of you ever see uh, Money Python and the Holy Grail? Yeah. You know, the one part that I always loved was... The tale of Robin, Sir Robin. Brave Sir Robin. And as brave Sir Robin was making his way across the countryside, he of course had his minstrels with the, uh, the coconuts making the sound of horses goes. Right? But, but, but the minstrels were also singing the praises of brave Sir Robin until brave Sir Robin begins to then veer off course. And then the minstrels change their tune and start to sing, brave Sir Robin, he ran away. He ran away. And, 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 you know, and Rob was like, no, I didn't. And, and, and I feel like th this is kind of that moment for Paul where it's like, oh, Holy Spirit, did you have to capture this portion of my life here of being lowered in a basket, just absolutely humiliated, turned tail and have to just kind of get get out of town. And, and even worse, perhaps, is that for hundreds and hundreds of years later, uh, we as we enter into children's ministry, always have this little craft, right? You get a little cup and you put a little thing over top of it. And then you have Paul and you tell the story of, of Acts chapter 9. And, you know, and then you, you see Paul being, being kind of lowered, you know, down off the city walls of Damascus. Uh, and, and Paul, I'm sure, is like, come on. Like, I know it's a compelling craft. But, but teachers, come on, get, get something else, all right? 
let's, let's just burn all of those baskets if we could right now. But, but nonetheless, uh, here, here we are uh, being able to celebrate Paul because the, the, this very beginning of his ministry is like ignominy and it is a bit shameful and, and, and you know nobody wants to talk about and then I began my ministry boldly proclaiming until there was trouble and then I turned tail and ran but this is the beginning of his ministry and so let's begin it over in chapter 9 verse 19 Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, now take note right here, because we're going to recognize that there's a bit that Luke does not capture in the fullness of Paul's narrative. Now, because Paul does write so much about even his own personal testimony and his own ministry, we get a little autobiographical material from Paul in Galatians, in 2 Corinthians, of these early days of his ministry. We'll come back to that in a minute and fill in some of the gaps that I think occur probably between verses 22 and 23 of how Paul really was launched in his work for Christ. So anyway, verse 23, keep that in mind. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. By the way, in the original language, that preaching fearlessly is just one verb, and it is a kapow boldness by, by which he proclaims. And it, it's repeated in the next verse as well. He preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly, there it is again, in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. But by the way, those Hellenistic Jews are, are Jews that were Greek speaking. And guess who it was that also had had dialogue and proved that Jesus was the Christ with the Hellenistic Jews? Stephen. It's interesting that this may be the same synagogue of the freemen where the, the Hellenistic Jews would have gathered in Jerusalem. And interestingly, as much as Saul was deeply impacted by Stephen... Seeing the way that he died in such a godly manner, that splinter that was probably placed in his mind of how could a heretic die so well? How could one who is dying forgive me? Interestingly, he then picks up the mantle that Stephen had to lay down with his death and began to preach to those very same Hellenistic Jews. But by the way, last time he was their ringleader rousing them up to stone Stephen. 
And now he's coming back to them, launching a volley of his own. This must have been so intense in the early church to see such a flip-flop. To One who was the greatest persecutor is now who is the greatest preacher in the church. I, I, I can't imagine how wild a, a shift and change of, of sides that must have been. You know, maybe, maybe we could kind of think about like Babe Ruth, right? When he, when he signs the contract over from the Red Sox to the Yankees, right? And the Red Sox are like, oh my, come on! Like the greatest player that we ever have had, he's now at the Evil Empire, although they didn't call it back that in 1911 or whenever this uh, trade occurred. But, but it is of, of, of that scale, if we're going to kind of use some sort of an Americanism to try to uh, kind of appreciate it. But, but take it and just blow it up so many more times that the greatest, greatest weapon of the other side is now on your side and now is trained against that, that other side. So he began to speak boldly in the name of Jesus with the Hellenistic Jews, but then they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea. Caesarea is the seaport uh, that, that, that allows you to kind of get out of town. Took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. In other words, it's just saying the land of Israel, basically is what that comprises. Enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I wonder if the, if the apostles there in verse 31 were thinking, oh, all right, this Paul guy is finally gone. All right, let's just, let's just get down to business now and let's just strengthen one another. Let's spread the word. Let's, let's keep it going. Uh, and amen that this lightning bolt of, of persecution has now made his way back up to Tarsus, where he's from. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear about the grumblings from up there. And, and so we will. The next time we pick up Saul, we'll pick him up in Tarsus in, in a couple chapters from now. But for, for, for right now, let's take a look at, at, um, at Saul. And, and even, I think, the way that he was able to take who he was and really become an unstoppable force for Jesus. I would pray that all of us at one time or another, reading our Bibles, have looked at the example of Paul, and especially Paul, as he says again and again, follow me as I follow Jesus. And we've probably thought to ourselves, I would like to be a little bit more like Paul. I would aspire to that. I remember studying the Bible in 1993 and coming across this guy, Paul, and thinking, first of all, wow, I never knew the half of what he was all about. But then also realizing, oh my goodness, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to make an impact like that for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of godliness, and for the sake of Jesus, the, the way that he did? And amen. I think any of us who aspire to follow Paul, we're just simply obeying the Bible as Paul calls us to follow him as he follows Jesus. This is no mere exception clause in the Bible right here of this guy Saul. But in whatever best way that we can, with the, the gifts and the resources that we have, we're, we're called to not just let this be a, a figure that we applaud, but a figure that we aspire to really follow. And so let's, let's take heed to this and recognize, first of all, um, what it is that Paul did to better follow Jesus. The first thing that he did is that he celebrated his failings. 
Now, that's not often the way that we go about life. It's not the way that we were trained to be raised up. Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, put on a good front, and perhaps that way we'll be viewed more highly by others. We, we spend all of our lives, in a sense, putting our best foot forward. Our Facebook feed is not filled with our, our, our sleepless nights and all of our anxieties and the way that I was harsh with my kids. Um, imagine those posts. Oh man, yep, I, I, I really was. I, I was an ugly parent today. Uh, man, oh man, uh, if only my kids can, can kind of give me one more time of forgiveness. And, and, and the, the way that I was thoughtless to my wife, holy smokes. And, and by the way, a couple days ago when I was talking about our anniversary and using such glowing terms, well, that was just to make up for the four months of, of absolute drought of any consideration to her at all. Right? We don't actually have a Facebook feed that looks like that. But Paul was not afraid to be raw and vulnerable. And those are qualities that God can use. And if, if we're trying to have self-promotion, then we'll never know the power of self-denial. And Paul, my goodness, praise God that he got his flesh out of the way. Now, one of the things that I, that I want to recognize in, in him getting the flesh out of the way uh, is that, that, that he really um, was, was a man that, as he spoke of himself, was one that had actually difficulty in being able to communicate to people. Matter of fact, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when he, when he encounters the church there, he says, remember when I came to you, and he, he came to Corinth probably either in 49 or 51, by the way. Uh, but when he, he says, when I came to you, it, it, it wasn't like with some great ability that I had. Uh, he said, sorry, I'm, I'm going to jump over to this now. Uh, in uh, in First Corinthians one chapter twenty, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And, and of course, he goes on to say that, hey, think of what you were when you were called. But God chose, in verse 28, the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Uh, Paul, as bold as his preaching was and as fearless as his preaching was, he, he said that he didn't come with wise words. He didn't come with eloquence. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 4, in both of those cases, he, he actually says, please pray for me. Pray for me that I can be eloquent. Pray for me that I may be fearless. In Colossians 4, he says, pray for me that I could just be clear in what it is that I say. Paul was a man that, that in many ways was trying to overcome his fearfulness and leaned into it so that through his vulnerability, Christ was able to then make him a man of great clarity and a, great, a man of great boldness, a man of great courage. What's your shortcoming? 
What's your failing? What is it that you think limits you? Why not let it be the very thing that catapults you? Why not let it be the very thing that allows you to be real and vulnerable with the people that God has given you to love, the people that God has put into your path? And be amazed at how much more receptive those that need to hear the word of Christ are when we put our worst foot forward rather than our best foot forward. Paul was never afraid to do that in letter after letter as he spent time with with the churches, but especially that church in Corinth because they, they, they really were good at public speaking in Corinth. As a matter of fact, the Olympic Games were the biggest games in the, you know, in the Roman Empire and in Greece, of course, too. But, but later that was eclipsed by the Roman Empire. But those games continued. Paul was there during those games. But part of the games included public speaking competition or rhetoric competition, which would have occurred there. So they would have all been quite accustomed to, you know, the best TED Talks that anyone has ever heard uh, in, in the cities where Paul would have gone and preached. And, and he maybe in some sense was not up to their standards, but the message that he brought is what made him bold. Not his own personal ability, not even his, his own personal charisma of any sort. We read the description of him last week, and even just physically, there wasn't a whole lot that he was offering there that was a great point of difference that would cause people to say, wow, if a man like that could follow Christ, then maybe I think I might too as well, because boy, he's so impressive. There was really little from a humanistic physical standpoint of Paul that was impressive in that way. Now, yes, he was a determined Jew who studied well and and really understood the rabbinical teaching that he was given. But nonetheless, to the Greeks and to the Roman colonies where he went to go preach, he was really facing an uphill battle. But let me encourage us, really, turn our weaknesses over to God. Don't let them, by the way, be in any way stumbling blocks or handicaps that keep you from doing the work of God, but but the very things that can be used and shaped by God to show that through our weakness, strength can finally really be displayed. My goodness, what is better than that? To get ourselves out of the way, to take all restraints, all governors off of the work of the Holy Spirit that is within us, to, to be able to really overcome all of our mess, to be able to share all of the depth of all of of what really is our personal failings because they then really do speak to others about how they can overcome those things as well. But the other thing that's important about Paul to realize is that while he did put his worst foot forward and he celebrated his failings, he also saturated himself in our Savior. Now, one thing that is is, is remarkable is that in verse 22... It says, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And then, of course, I said, take note here, because then after many days, one thing that is not mentioned by Luke in the story, in the narrative, in the book of Acts, is a big episode in Paul's life that speaks of a time where he spent three years in Arabia. And Paul talks about it himself in Galatians 1. Matter of fact, uh, I'll I'll read it to you or you can kind of keep your finger there in Acts and I'll I'll jump on over. But in in Galatians chapter 1, 
in a, a autobiographical material that Paul provides them at the beginning of the letter. He says, I want you to know, verse 11, chapter 1, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. That's a pretty provocative statement. So where did it come from? Like you, you didn't get it from Ananias? You didn't get it from the Christians that gathered in Damascus? Where did this come from then? He says, rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my age among my people, extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who is um, Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. All right, so rather, rather interesting right there. This is some of the material that I think is happening between verses 22 and 23. That, yes, while Paul was uh, converted in Damascus and began to preach in Damascus, he also then went out on a deep personal retreat with the Lord into Arabia. And while in, in the midst of Arabia, uh, would have received from Jesus his great education in the gospel. Because he didn't receive it from any man. The good news, the very idea that we are saved not by our works, but by the work of Christ. The very good news that you may be, in fact, a thousandfold more repulsive, unloving, dark, demented than you ever wanted to really consider. But yet at the same time, more noble and lovely and lovable and honored than you ever dared hope. Paul was able to hear that and understand it from a direct time with Christ. Now, special prophets in the Bible, and I don't want us to ever lose sight of the supernatural element of our Bible because we are 21st century Americans. And my goodness, if I can gut the Bible of supernatural explanations, I, I'm happy to do so, sadly. It's, it's my bent. It's the, the air that I breathe. It's the, if I were a fish, it's the water in which I swim that I'm not even aware of. But I'm always quick to try to have a materialistic explanation for things. And, and I'd love to have that even for Paul. But, but in some cases, we're just supposed to marvel at him and do our best to imitate him. Because what he received was of supernatural origin. Now, in, in special times, prophets who are special prophets of God actually had an intense experience. Let me read this to you. This was, this was Jeremiah speaking of people who claimed to be prophets during his time while Israel was about to go, Judah, as a matter of fact, was about to go into its deepest chastising, disciplining by the Lord as they're going to be brought into exile. Now, there were many prophets among them, false prophets, who said, no, 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 everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. 
And Jeremiah had to help the people distinguish. There are a lot of people claiming to speak for God. But here's a telltale sign of whether a prophet really speaks for God or not. And, and I'll, I'll be, I'm, I'm in Jeremiah 23, starting in verse 18. But which of them, which of them who said no harm will come to you, has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? This phrase, stood in the counsel of the Lord, is a pretty deep idea. The, count, the divine counsel of God, it's spoken of in Deuteronomy 32. It's spoken, I'm sorry, in, in uh, uh, Psalm 89, verse 2, and later on, that, that God had a counsel. You see it in the beginning of Job. You, you, you see it, of course, even at the time of the judgment seat, that, that God has a counsel. And, and there are heavenly beings there, and God reigns over this counsel. But here he's saying, did any of these false prophets actually appear before that council? I'm like, do, do prophets appear before that council? Whoa, what, that's like freaky, right? Like, it's just so supernatural that I don't ever think that that's the case, right? I think that a prophet who's just kind of hanging out, Jeremiah, Isaiah, whomever it may be, and there's kind of like this sort of like whispering that goes on to them. And it's, you know, all very nice packaged in a in a worldly framework for me but but really these guys were like translated into the council of god as a matter of fact in verse 21 it says i did not send these prophets yet they run with their message i did not speak to them yet they've prophesied but if they had stood in my council now this is not metaphorical stand in my council uh where, where you say if he if they had stood their ground or based their teaching in the counseling that I provide. It's not that. In the Hebrew, it is a literal standing in the shod or sod, which is a very literal term, not of someone's advice counsel, but of a panel of counsel, of a, of a bank of judges with God provi- uh, presiding over that. But if they had stood in my counsel, whoa, Jeremiah did that, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. As a side note, by the way, all prophets who get rebuked in the Old Testament, uh, as this is happening here, they're always rebuked for being too soft on sin. Never once are they rebuked for being too hard on sin. Which is interesting, I think, even as we try to really be prophetic to one another, as we try to be good brothers and sisters who see to it that no one has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Uh, we're, we're called to that. And if, if someone has the selfless love to step out of a comfort zone and really approach me, you, anyone with the idea that I, you need some reproof. You need to be exposed here in something that God has deemed me faithful to observe and, and recognize that I need to share with you. My goodness, for, for us to in any way cast disparaging motivations upon that person, I think we need to be careful. Uh, again, it's, it's in no one's normative default mindset to be like, who can I go rebuke today? I don't actually, I don't know anybody in our our fellowship who has that sort of a bent at all. There's a massive amount of self-denial to actually get real enough and care enough to really try to help someone to to get exposed 
to be able to live just the beautiful life that God really wants us to live. So nonetheless, that's, that was a pretty long aside, sorry. Back, back, to, um, back to this. Saturate yourself in our Savior. This saturating of, of Jesus into, into Paul. Jesus seeping in to every sensibility of Paul is really so critical of what then launched him on the decades of amazing service that he gave to the Lord. And, and by the way, in addition to these three years that he spends in the counsel of Jesus, being discipled in some sort of direct way by Jesus supernaturally, he then spends the next 10 years up in Tarsus, back in his hometown, growing and ministering there. Uh, so now that puts Paul about to the age of 50 or so, uh, or, or even a bit beyond. So he's in his 50s when he really then becomes the missionary that we know him. So if you're thinking, well, I don't know, maybe the years have gotten beyond me. Apparently not. And, and Paul, you know, it all, it all comes down on him in his 60s, right? His, his career ends in the 60s as his head is chopped off. And hopefully... Uh, you can get after it too before your head gets chopped off and get some real productive time for Christ. But uh, let's just appreciate the degree when he says, follow me as I follow Christ, the degree to which he saturated himself in Christ. Now, this little interlude of three years in Arabia that is mentioned here, get, you know, being lowered in a basket, he, he actually talks of it in one other place. And it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And there... He says, after talking about all of his failings, by the way, which you know goes back to the first point, he says about um, all of his sufferings, all of the things that uh, beset him. He, he says in, in the middle of verse 21 of chapter 11, whatever anyone dares to boast about, and I'm speaking as a fool here, I also dare to boast about. Are the Hebrews? So am I. Israelites? So am I. Abraham's descendants? So am I. Servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind. It's not like this. I am more. I've worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, uh, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times beneath with, uh, was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times shipwrecked. Spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move, in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of concern for all the churches. Who's weak? I don't feel weak. Who's led into sin? I don't feel, uh, do, do not inwardly burn. And if I must boast... I'll boast in the things that show my weakness. And look what he brings up after having said that. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying because, uh, all right, and I'll, I'll include this. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and I ran away. I love that. He gives all of the great times that he faced persecution. And he's like, ah, all right, let me include this one there as well uh, in the midst of it. Now, 
I, I, I say all that to say this is probably an event that occurred around the same time because then he goes right after that and he says, all right, if I'm going to go on boasting, I'm going to tell you about visions and revelations that I had from the Lord. Now he's like, hold on. And let me, and he kind of talks about himself in the third person at this point. And so, you know, we here, you know, we have Alan Iverson from this city. So we're quite accustomed to people speaking about themselves in the third person. So we should be able to appreciate that. Uh, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Now, if he wrote Second Corinthians, this is just nerdy stuff, by the way. But if he wrote Second Corinthians sometime around 54, 55 A.D., 14 years ago would have would have placed him right on the edge when King Eretus would have still been reigning. So all of the kind of the numbers work out here that it could have been this moment uh, where where he was kind of taken out of the city and ended up 14 years ago out in Arabia. So if this is a description of what happened to him in Arabia. Listen to what it says. Again, if this is the description of a prophet coming before the council of God, listen to what this says. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. God knows. Was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. I'll boast about a man like that. But I won't boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think of me more than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul saturating himself in Christ or Christ being saturated in him. This happened as he was in the third heaven. This happened as he was taken up to have this experience. By the way, there's not like levels of heaven itself because the Bible speaks of the heavens where the birds fly, the heavens where the stars abide and the heavens where God abides. There are three heavens that are obviously described there. Blue sky, first heaven. Black sky, second heaven, outer space. Third heaven, the, the realm of God and the throne of God and the council of God. Uh, and so as a prophet, he's being brought and commissioned and trained and refined to be let loose on a world that needs to know Jesus. He did that before the council of God in the third heaven being tutored directly by Jesus Christ. How cool is that? But I guess to come back and use that, I mean, think of the temptation to say, the people that were saying, are you really an apostle? Are you really a prophet? Should we really go by you? That's what they were saying in, in, in some of the places where he administered to them. Think of him being able to say, let me just play a trump card. Right? I stood in the very throne room of heaven and received my training so that I could bring it to you. And you want to quibble about who's got greater insight right now? Boom. Check me out. 
right? Or here, check out this thorn in my side. I don't know what his thorn in his side is. By the way, as an aside on that, many people think it was either the intense migraines that he had or probably blindness. Uh, because he will say to the Galatians later, you would have gladly, gladly given me your eyes if you could have. Uh, so he had a, a real physical ailment. I don't think, by the way, the thorn in his side was a besetting sin. That doesn't really make any sense whatsoever. I think it was a, a real physical difficulty that he had to overcome uh, one way or another. But again, Paul saturating himself in the Savior. Wow. Think of the intensity to which Christ was all in all for him. And then finally, if we're going to imitate Paul as, as much. Oh, and by the way, as we saturate ourselves in the Savior, how's it going with really being in your Bible on a consistent daily basis in such a way that it is really seeping into you? That the gospel message is really permeating your consciousness, permeating the way that you make sense of God, yourself, the world, events, every stimuli that comes your way. My goodness, we have the same beautiful insight that that is available to all Christians through all ages, through the very word of God, to be able to live this out and to be able to follow Paul as he follows Christ, because he's provided us the sufficiency of scripture so that we can be immersed, immersed in Jesus, immersed in his message, immersed in his understanding, and thus we can then live the same life that he lived. But please, to simply have all of this available to us, to have the body of Christ available to us, and to just be kind of meh with all of that. Whoa, frightening, right? My goodness, let, let it be that as we aspire to really be who God needs us to be as the body of Christ, that we get serious about the word of God and the body of Christ and that really continue to be saturated in all of that. But finally, and, and really as a closing charge, as, as Paul kind of brings this about, what is it that, that made him so effective, I believe? Well, look at what it says here. I, I think Paul would say, make it all about Jesus. Make it all about Jesus. And wherever he went, that's what he preached. As a matter of fact, as, as he began to preach, it says he grew more and more powerful. And as he did... He did so by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. In verse 20, at once after he had been commissioned, what did he do? He preached in the synagogues. What did he preach? That Jesus is the Son of God. How about, we? this is so hard for us, I know. Because you, you get used to certain ways of, of trying to connect with people. But we rarely do it by actually talking about Jesus. Right. We talk about this community of faith and we, we have, you know, nice kind of defanged, declawed phrases that we use that maybe make this all seem as if it's more palatable or easier to approach. I don't know if that does anything other than make people who are you know, listening to you say, wah, 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 wah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's just some anemic dribble that's coming out of your mouth about how. Our church building is behind the Chick-fil-A and, you know, you can get there by coming off that. What? What in the world? If, if that's if that's what we lead with, if that's the, our way of connecting. Holy smokes. I mean, imagine Paul just kind of walking with us for a bit and saying, come on, really? Jesus did all this for you. And you're you're talking about how Sabre Road is kind of connected to Lowry Road. And really? Is, is that 
You're apologizing because you, you, you have a, a building in a, in a warehouse district? Really? That's what this is? How, how about we just talk about Jesus? And, and, and let me encourage you. There are going to be people that are put in your path this week. And there'll even be people where you will have the fearlessness of, of Paul to actually speak to. But I bet your default will be to give some sort of directions to some sort of a gathering of the body of Christ. And in that very moment, I want you to pray yourself on up and prepare to make it about Jesus. Make, God's going to put connections into your life. You're the body of Christ. He's going to put people there. Now, it depends on whether we're going to be faithful or not, but he's going to put people there. And, and I, would, I would, again, saturate yourself in Christ. And then as these connections are made, make it about Jesus. My goodness. When, read, read like the beginning of any of Paul's letters. Read Ephesians 1 and see how many times in Ephesians 1, just make it up until verse 13. See how many times... He mentions Jesus, Christ, or him in, in a reference to Christ. And just see what his normal pattern of speech was about making it all about Jesus. And then just see if your life isn't enriched. Just see if your walk isn't actually empowered more by the Holy Spirit. Just see if, if you don't know what it is to, to experience. Verse 31, the, 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 the church had a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Let, let me encourage you. So the person that God puts in your path this week, make it about Jesus. Amen. Just say Jesus. You'll get over it. Like, oh, it just came out of my mouth. Okay, put those words back in. I don't know what I was thinking about. Just stream of consciousness, you know. Uh, just let Jesus out. Let Jesus out. And, and, I, and I know that the, because you're so saturated in Christ... The rest of whatever it is that you need to say will we'll follow behind that. The Holy Spirit promises, the spirit that, that, that abides in all of us promises that he'll give us the words, even though we think that we don't. Uh, don't make it about your eloquence. Don't make it about your, your personal clarity. Just make it about Jesus and, and just marvel at where it goes from there. Amen. We're going to uh, be, we don't have a song, right? Amen. We're, we're, we're dismissed to fellowship. Thank you. Oh, that's right. Jesus has one more thing to do today. Uh, and uh, Joyce, you want to stand on up real quick so everybody can see it? This is Joyce Carr. And she's being baptized into Christ today at 3 o'clock. Amen. Is that at 89th Street? So, yeah, 89th Street, 3 o'clock. Uh, so again, be, be great to be able to encourage the Carr family uh, and, uh, and also to celebrate rebirth and, uh, and, and celebrate that for Joyce. Amen. Thanks and uh, congratulations.